0: SAFM Sports Rap.
1: SFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Hello and welcome to another edition of SFM Sports Rep. Delighted to be with you this uh, fine Thursday evening. Indeed, as Anastasia uh, Arata mentioned, it is a long weekend ahead. If you are celebrating Easter, I wish you a very happy Easter, but that's uh, right at the very start of the show. Maybe I'll wish you at the end of the show as well. Plenty to talk about uh, because there is uh, lots of crickets underway. The fourth and final test against Australia is uh, going to be starting uh, tomorrow at uh, the Wanderers in Johannesburg, so we'll be catching up on uh, what's happening ahead of that fourth and final test from a protease perspective and indeed from an Australian perspective on tonight's show we've got Stephen Cook uh, former protea and indeed Jeff Lemon a, uh, a man who has been uh, commentating with the SABC but the ABC sports uh, commentator or cricket commentator specifically Jeff Lemon is going to be on the show tonight and we'll talk two oceans marathon to uh, make a little bit of a change as well the two oceans plenty of two oceans to uh, talk about with Manfred Seidler the athletics correspondent but let me start off with uh, a little bit of uh, news for you sports news uh, of course the, the big stories of the day so Steve Smith and uh, Cameron Bancroft having their press conferences, uh, both very teary-eyed and uh, look to be genuinely remorseful. Uh, some are making fun of it, some are making light of the situation. Either way, I do think that uh, it's more than just crocodile tears from the two, and maybe there's a little bit of a combination between uh, sorry you were caught and sorry that they did it. I, I, I do believe there is a remorse from, uh, from the players, uh, certainly Steve Smith and, and Cameron Bancroft. That's it. Cricket news, the big story was Darren Lehman announcing he's going to step down as coach of the Australian cricket team at the conclusion of this fourth or final test against the Proteus starting tomorrow. Lemons told the Australian media yesterday that he had no knowledge of the ball-tampering plans before that unfolded at Newlands and added that he would be not and added he'd be staying on as coach initially, but the 48-year-old broke down in tears as he delivered the announcement today, clarifying that he had not been pushed into the decision by Cricket Australia and that this was his, all his own choice. Rugby news, Adrian Strauss will become the most experienced South African in Super Rugby competition when he takes to the field for the Bulls against the Stormers on Saturday. Strauss, who made his debut for the Bulls in 2006, will play in his 149th match in the tour, bettering the 148-match tally record he shared with another former Blue Bulls captain Victor Matfield. Strauss is one of four changes to the starting team for the north-south derby as he starts in place of Jakob Other changes, Ivan uh, von Sales starts at scrum half ahead of Embrose Papier, while Marco van Staden will earn a first start for the year at blindside flank. Rudolf Smith playing off the bench then. Uh, Bulls coach John Mitchell has also moved Henry Liebenberg to lock in place of injured, and starting, Timberlaine Boily at 7. Meanwhile, uh, Stormers coach Robbie Fleck has made four changes to his starting lineup to face the Bulls. There are three changes to the back line, one in the forward pack for the South African Super Rugby Derby. Espi Morea, Dylan Lates return from injury to take their place at fullback and wing, respectively, while a rib injury to Diebold Dibenacher means Justin Phillips will start at scrum half, with Yonifer Mark returning from injury to provide cover on the bench. Only change to the forward pack is a rotational switch between Steven kitsoff and JC jansson Rensburg, with the hookers, Karan Tobeni, set to make his first appearance of the season if he comes on as a replacement. Same with uh, Super Rugby Sharks coach Robert has named his team for Saturday's super rugby encounter against the Bulls, uh, the Blues rather in Eden Park. In the back line, Andre Istraisen has returned to full fitness and replaces uh, Marius Lowe uh, at inside centre. Up front flank uh, Philip van der Welt, who flew over to replace the injured Vian Fossler starts for the suspended Jacques for Tyler Paul who replaces Fossler on the bench is the final change in the match day twenty three. Meanwhile, uh, David uh, Divald Himon will captain a New Look Springbok sevens squad containing five uncapped players at the Hong Kong Sevens next weekend. Himon one of just six players who are part of the Blitzbox squad that won the 2016-17 World Rugby Sevens series, who will travel east on Saturday while Hino uh, note, um Musolo Mafuma, James Murphy, Renlo Smith, and Mfundo and will all make the Springbok Sevens debuts in Hong Kong. And just finally in football news for you, the Premier Soccer League have announced changes to fixture schedules for the AMSA Premiership clubs participating in continental competitions. PSL have shown their support for member clubs, Supersport United and Bidvest's participation in the CAF Confederation Cup. It was announced uh, earlier tonight that the two clubs would have at least two of their upcoming league fixtures reworked in an attempt to provide some relief in their schedules, with Mamaludi Sundowns, Orlando Pirates, Golden Arrows, Cape Town City, Pulaguani City and Ajax Cape Town all affected. But Sundowns, who face the Schedule of eight fixtures in four weeks will not see much of a difference to their fixtures against bits and arrows, simply having those fixtures swapped around rather than moved to different dates. That's your sports news.
0: SAFM Sports Wrap
1: SAFM South Africa's news and information leader now the uh, Proteus leading the Test Series 2-1 in, uh, as they head into the fourth and final test that starts at uh, Wanderers here in Johannesburg uh, tomorrow but uh, got to look forward to the next five days or potential five days of cricket and uh, possibly a first Test Series win since readmission against Australia for the Proteus on the cards well uh, a man who's in some fine form and a man who's always got, well, got some great insights into the game is the Lions captain Stephen Cook who I'm delighted to uh, welcome on the line Stephen thanks for joining us good evening Evening. Good
0: evening. Thanks for having me.
1: Great to chat to you again. Uh, it's just usually you you are serving as player or as an analyst. I mean, you had a fine innings the other day to deny the Cape Cobras and the Sunfoil series. Uh, you must be feeling good about your own game. But how, how would you wrap up briefly the Lions' season this uh, this past campaign?
0: Yeah, I think fair to say the Lions, the Lions didn't play as well as we could have this season. I mean... Really disappointed where we finished in terms of our log position. Um, as you say, this last game, we probably saved our best for last and, and pulled up a really good uh, result against the Cape Cobras and, and probably showed a little bit more of, of, of the sort of cricket we can play. So, yeah, um, yeah, you know, put us in a, you know, probably in a position where we think uh, if and but. But um, you know, it was one of those seasons where I think across the board, the, the margins are really small. I mean, in the end... Mm going into the last weekend of Sunfield Cricket. I think five of the six teams could actually choose the title and, and certainly led to some exciting cricket and, and, and watching of scores and uh, pulling out of calculators over the last two days.
1: Well, indeed. I mean, to only have seven uh, wins across the entire Sunfield series tells you something about how closely contested it was. But uh, as you say, I suppose it's all about uh, I mean it's all about finding the wins. But for South Africa, in, in a similar sense, uh, I suppose all South Africa has to do is avoid defeat against uh, Australia in this uh, fourth and final test to, to win the series. But that's surely not what they'll be aiming for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I don't think you can go into a game uh, trying to aim aim to draw it. But uh, you know, they'll they'll certainly want that series win. That will be the uh, the, the main goal for this weekend. And uh, as you alluded to earlier, you know, um, South Africa haven't beaten Australia in South Africa since uh, since uh, posted uh, since, since, since two. So um, yeah, certainly one that. Uh, the guys would uh, hold that up, up, up very high. We've obviously done well in Australia, but, but to beat them on our home soil would be a special win.
1: Uh, how significantly, though, is this ball-tampering debacle and the sort of off-field focus detracted from what was a pretty sensational third test from the Proteus and, and indeed, the build-up to the fourth?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think we all know what's, uh, what's happened around this ball-tampering. So, again, yes, it's certainly detracted from, from the cricket. I mean, um, th- throughout the series, even I mean, going back to the uh, the whole incident on the stairs, the Rabada uh, sort of uh, banning and then appeal. Um, there've been a lot of sort of side shows that have distracted from what has been excellent cricket. I mean, both sides have got fantastic bowling lineups, which uh, you know people in years mm-hmm. to come will, will speak about the series and the quality of the fast bowlers on uh, on display. And we should be celebrating that. You know, Mornay Morkel in the last Test match got nine wickets. And um, his last Test match. Uh, Starting tomorrow, and uh, and probably very little has actually been said about them. But uh, I think people probably need to to flick their minds onto the cricket and uh, and appreciate what we what we'll see over the next five days. Two excellent teams going at it with with a lot on the line.
1: Yeah, we just won't we, we, won't, uh, we won't in uh, in years uh, to come. We won't talk about the fact that reverse swing was starting in the 28th over. But uh, talking about bat bowlers and Morne Morkel in particular. Uh, have, have we sort of got a clearer idea of what life will be like post morkel When you consider that Stain is clearly at the end of of his career, I mean, uh, you know, d- with injuries and that that have ruled him out almost uh, permanently over the last couple of couple of years, there ha- there have been some significant changes. Uh, uh, despite the the talent coming through.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think it's, uh, at any stage with the with the riches of talent of are having guys like Stain and Morkel in your bowling lineup. And, um, you know, those guys will be missed when, uh, when they're not available. and um, just like it was when, uh, you know, Jacques Callis and Graham Smith and the like, uh, stopped in terms of the batting it, it. It sometimes takes a little bit of time just to reset things. Having said that, I mean, the way Lumi and Gidi has come through, we've got a Duan Olaf in the wings. You know, they're, they're bowlers of serious ability who, uh, have already shown in, in, in a few test matches that they'll be able to step up to the plate. But yeah, just going back to uh, tomorrow, Mourke, what a wonderful servant of the game for South Africa, an absolute gentleman, and uh, certainly one of those guys when, when I look back at my career will be one of those guys who I think, thank goodness I got to share a change room and uh, and play the game with with a gentleman like that. How a fantastic skill that uh, an even greater human being.
1: Yeah, indeed. Oh, that, that Morkel family, I suppose. There's, uh, there's something special in that Morkel family in terms of cricketing genes and, indeed, as you say, gentlemen off the, uh, the, the pitch as well. Uh, but in terms of uh, other gentlemen we must speak of, Fafdip Hashim Hashimamla, for me, a little bit of a concern they're not scoring runs. Is, is it a major concern for you? And, and how a great a significance is that overall in terms of South Africa's test side?
0: Yeah, I mean I think uh, at any stage in uh, in any cricket team it's very unlikely that all six of your your front line batters will all be, you know, performing brilliantly and, and putting big numbers on the board. There's always one or two guys who, who might be going through slightly different patches and at the moment maybe perhaps that that, that mantle sits with Tuff and uh, and Hashin but they're both excellent players who uh, I've got no doubt uh, could uh, could easily turn it around in this wondrous test. Um, I know both of them really like batting at the Wonders and have good track records there, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if one of them, uh, or both of them, stick up their hands and-, and score some serious runs to the side. We must take nothing away from the fact that um, these Australians are a serious bowling line I mean... Mm-hmm. Uh, Guys like uh, Stark and Hazelwood and Cummins, uh, they're uh, they're a handful. So you know it doesn't take you to be a lot off your game to to send you a, a couple of tests into the series and realise you, you haven't scored many runs. I mean I can sympathise with him um, being in Australia. You know, 18 months ago, uh, a guy like Mitchell Stark had my number and it took me until the last test before before I could score some runs. So, certainly sympathising with those guys and in a difficult situation, but you know that you can come through it. Uh, they've got enough experience to, to do that.
1: Well, that was the thing. I actually wanted to touch on that because you, you were, as you say, in Australia last time and I wanted to ask how good this bowling attack is because we, we've we heard so much about uh, Stark and Cummins and uh, and, and uh, Hazelwood and certainly somebody like Mitchell Marsh uh, chipping in has, has proved considerably helpful. Helpful For the uh, the Australian side Despite the fact they are in in turmoil at the moment Um, But you know I go back to a generation that I admired And watched uh, the the Brett Lee Glenn McGrath when they were overlapping That team Andy Bickle couldn't even get a place On the side and he was a quality bowler for example That sort of generation compared to This generation a lot of people are talking about uh, This being the greatest generation But having faced these bowlers From your personal experience How good are they?
0: Yeah, I think I think those current crop are oh, pretty damn good. I mean, the uh, the thing that makes them so good is there's 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 a lot of high pace. All of them bowl at, uh, at a fair click, mm-hmm. but uh, the biggest challenge is that they're all different in their own way. You know, Starks obviously left arm. Uh, Cummins has got that pace in a really difficult bounce. Uh, Hazelwood moves the ball and bowls a fuller length but Nathan Lyon, who gets a lot of bounce and involves relatively quick off spin, So, you know, you're always under pressure with different challenges. And I think that's also what makes our South African bowling attack difficult. You now, Philander, who maybe doesn't quite have the pace, has those little crafty skills and is deadly accurate. Rabadas, top-end pace and aggressive. Um, and and Mourne more is really tall. So, you know, I think in our own way, we've, we've sort of got these very varied bowling attacks, which, which makes it really difficult. And certainly when I played against them in Australia, that was the real challenge, you know got a left arm at one end bowling mm. a strange angle and then Hazelwood bowling a fuller length swinging the ball, you know, it was, it was a constant adjustment and uh, and really difficult. That's why I think they've had so much success.
1: I love uh, getting the insights from somebody who's, who's experienced it all before and this is this is one of the things I wanted to chat to you about. But I, I want to go back to history now. I mean, I was there in 2009, we lost to Australia. I was there in 2011, we lost to Australia. Uh, I'll be coming again on Sunday uh, before I get off to the Commonwealth Games, ironically, in Australia. But, Uh, the point I'm getting to here is not that I'm a bad luck charm but the Proteus don't have a great test record at your home ground the Wanderers. At this juncture though and considering the perhaps mentally where the Australian team is, does history count for anything?
0: Yeah, I think it's it's a really unique test match in in some regards. I mean, the Australians have obviously been through a lot over the last couple of days and uh, um, I suppose they're a proud team and a a proud nation and they want to bounce back strong and at least you know, take home a, a shared series. They've got a couple of players coming in who, who are really good, you know, Renshaw, Burns, uh, Glenn Maxwell, I think they don't need any introduction. They'll be they'll be seeing this as an opportunity to cement places for themselves in, in what will be a very changed Australian lineup over the next twelve months, um, due to the due to the whole uh ball tempering thing. So, um yeah uh, uh, and next with their bowling attack at the Wanderers, which we obviously know has a lot of pace and bounce and uh always makes for an exciting contest there at the Wanderers, yeah. You know, That's uh that's the one thing about the Wonders is uh, no matter who plays the evening, in an exciting game. So, yeah, it'll, 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 be, it'll be a big challenge for our boys over the next few days. Um, but uh, but hopefully, uh, yeah, we can we can see it through. Yeah, I must say, I love watching
1: cricket at the Wanderers, although, to be fair, I prefer watching one-day international cricket because I tend to be on the winning side as a proud South African a lot more often in the uh, the one-day games than some of the tests. That's it, Stephen Cook, thanks so much for your insights and opinions tonight, and I, I hope you enjoy this uh, fourth and final test, and hopefully there's a series win for us to be had.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. Pleasure. SAFM Sports Wrap.
1: Well, we stay with cricket on SAFM and uh, from Stephen Cook talking about South Africa's uh, perspective leading up to this fourth and final test against Australia. Let's uh, get more of an Australian perspective, particularly in light of Darren Lehman announcing that he's going to step down as Australian coach at the conclusion of this uh, final test against the Proteus that starts in Johannesburg tomorrow. On the line, we've got ABC uh, cricket commentator Jeff Lehman. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Good evening to you.
2: Good evening to you.
1: Uh, Let's talk about uh, Darren Lehman uh, in particular This is a man who just a couple of days ago clarified that he had not been uh, pushed into uh, any decision That he wasn't going to step down uh, And then today saying that he had made a decision of his own volition to step down as coach of Australia It looks like there's a bit of a change over the last 48 hours or so Can you just give us a a brief background and uh, right up to what (coughs) transpired today?
2: Yeah, look, I don't think he was pushed in the end because uh, Cricket Australia boss James Sutherland backed Baron Lehman very strongly over the last few days. When uh, Sutherland's done a few different press announcements and been asked about Lehman, and right from the start he said that their investigation had shown that Lehman had no knowledge of uh, what David Warner and co. were cooking up and that, that he was sort of unfairly dragged into it by what had happened, so... Cricket Australia were happy for him to stay on. Uh, and even yesterday, Lehman was telling us that he would stay on very determinedly. But uh, I think one more sleepless night uh, and a lot more commentary. And then he said the final straw for him was watching uh, the press conferences of Steve Smith and Cameron mm-hmm. Bancroft when they got home. They both broke down in tears. They were yeah. very emotional. And, and Lehman said he, couldn't, he basically couldn't handle it anymore and, and uh, decided that it was time for him to go as well.
1: Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it was emotional this morning watching uh, watching those two press conferences. Uh, but it seems David Warner has taken quite a bit of a backlash from s- certain s- sectors in South Africa, saying that at least Bancroft and Steve Smith fronted up, spoke to people face to face, answered some questions, tough questions. Uh, from from the Australian perspective, how has how has uh, the reaction of the three individuals been uh, been seen?
2: Look, I, I think that's about roughly consistent uh, across the two countries. David Warner has emerged as uh, probably the central figure in this drama, and, and probably the instigator of this ball tampering stuff. So there's a responsibility on him as, as you know someone who helps create the situation that that the others were weak enough to fall into, and uh, I suppose. To give the other side from his perspective the other the other two had spoken, there was probably no point in speaking as well today. um He said he wanted a couple of days to get his head together. He did speak briefly at the airport when he got home, but he was you know carrying his two small children and uh, needing to get them home to bed so it understandable that he didn't want to stop for a massive press conference at that point.
1: When, uh, look, I, I suppose that uh, there's a sense that even though there are undoubtedly Australians who were not cheating, had no knowledge of this whatsoever, I get the sense that the entire team, in, in from some sectors at least, have been tarred with the same brush, much as uh, the South African team were with the Hansie <coughs> the Cronje saga years ago. But. How devastating has this week been for Australia, the Australian team psyche, uh, and, and all of those involved in, in cricket in Australia in one manner or another? Uh, and what are you expecting as a result from them come tomorrow when you consider that this is likely to hang over Australian cricket for considerable time to come beyond this tour?
2: Yeah, that's uh, the real core question, isn't it? You've got three guys who've uh, admitted guilt, and you've got eight who apparently had nothing to do with it. Now, for those eight, they'll carry that for the rest of their careers. They'll be called cheats for the rest of their careers as well by people who don't believe that they had nothing to do with it. So it's a huge impost on them that's been laid onto them by the three who decided to get into this business in the first place. So it's going to be extremely difficult. Cricket's a mental game where if you're 1% below par, you'll tend to fail, particularly as a batsman. So we saw in in Cape Town in that second innings how drastically Australia folded on that, what turned out to be the last day. I find it very difficult to imagine they'll be able to uh, put up much of the resistance in this match with eight of the players having been dragged through this saga and three new players having just arrived from Australia.
1: As an Australian in South Africa going through this, uh, have you felt that the... Uh... There, there has been some sympathy from South Africa re- regarding this towards Australians, or has it been quite harsh in their response overall, and, and indeed, how have you seen the way the world has responded to, to what, is, uh, what has happened?
2: Well, it can't really be um, defined by nations, you know, it's, as people say, uh, there are some people all around the world, you know. But, um, so, depending which country you're in. So there's actually been a lot of quite a gracious commentary from a lot of the South African supporters I've spoken to. They're surprised that there was such a strong reaction. They're surprised that the penalties were so harsh. Um, they've got some sympathy with the Australian players for those harsh penalties, and um, you know, and mostly they're disappointed because they wanted to see a great contest, a great series, and in the end you've spent the whole series talking about everything but the cricket, and and that's a great frustration. You know, in, in other countries around the world, there's some people are enjoying it. They like to see the Aussies squirm, and, and that's probably understandable because Australia hasn't done a lot to endear itself as a cricketing nation to to other teams and other nations over the years. So, uh, you know, you can understand why that position might be reached. But there's also to be out there as well, especially after today.
1: Yeah. I, look, I I, uh, I I I'm one of those people that uh, that loved watching Australian teams play But it's always been a sort of you, you got a sense they played hard but fair for a number of years. Uh, and this, of yep. course takes it beyond that and it takes it where this, this is a win-at-all-cost type mentality that's seen previous uh, athletes in various sports step over a mark that they shouldn't have reached but from a, from a slightly different perspective, how do you feel about Faf Fafduplassi's response in particular in saying that, you know, I've spoken to Steve Smith I've sent him messages, he's been gracious in his response and he's a good guy uh, how much does that mean to, to, to you as an, as, as an Australian and uh, as somebody who follows Australian cricket so thoroughly?
2: Well, yeah, I think Faf's been pretty understanding. Um, you know, even in Cape Town, he was quite supportive in his comments there. He said, you know, that um, it was just up to the RFC to to organise the sanctions, and that he wasn't too concerned about it. Where you know he could have made a song and dance about it if he wanted. It's also worth remembering that in 2016 in yep. Australia, uh, when Faf was was being hounded by the Australian media about his ball tampering affairs. Steve Smith back him up then as well and said that as uh, the Australian team wasn't worried about what stuff was doing and that um, and that everybody treated the ball the same way around the world and it wasn't an issue. So both of those captains have been uh, given each other support. You know they've played together in the same IPL team. They they have a relationship and um, it, it's not really a surprise to see there's, there's more collegiality between professional players than between you know players and those uh, spectators.
1: Looking further ahead, uh, Jeff, uh, two aspects. One is, how does the Australian team recover? Because uh, you know, if I go back to the Hansi Cronier saga, yeah, this was all around 2000, but it wasn't until 2003 when Graham Smith was made captain and a whole lot of young, promising players were brought into the squad and nobody effectively linked to Hansi Cronier was around in the team any longer. Was it all forgotten and did things really get on? That was a good three years of, of it hanging over the Proteus side. Where does sure. the future lie for this Australian side, and how do you see it playing out?
2: Well, I, I think there's a, a world of difference between match fixing and you know, taking bribes to lose matches, and uh, looking for an advantage to help you win matches. You know, even if that was illegal. and and cheating as it was. You know, that's the most disappointing thing is that Australian teams, as like you say, they played hard, but they've been good enough to win. They didn't mean to cheat to win. Um, so that's, that's a disappointing aspect. But I think Australian cricket, the healing process should be quicker. They've got a good opportunity now once they finish this test match. They're not playing any internationals until a one-day series mid-year in England. Um, they don't really have any high-profile uh, fixtures until the test series in October or November, I think, against Pakistan. So they've got a good six months to... Sort of sit outside the public eye and not have too much attention. They can take their time to appoint a new coach. They can decide who that should be. They can appoint new backroom staff. They can, um, you know, make it shown that they are changing that culture. And then, when quite a new look Australian team fronts up for a, a test match in October in the Emirates, and then for the home summer, they won't be starting the test summer till December. So by that point, hopefully, all of this should seem a long time ago. And. And hopefully there's a feeling of a fresh start at that stage.
1: Fair enough. Well, I don't think anybody looks back at uh, Waka Yunus, who's accused of the same thing. Michael Atherton, uh, he's now regarded as one of the greats and a great commentator of the game. He was found guilty of ball tampering, of course, and indeed, uh, in mean, Faf Duplicy and the Mintgate saga, is still fresh in the memory for uh, for many. So I think the, the, the players, I, I hope, will get over this, and indeed, uh, I, d- I hope it doesn't linger too long, but uh, I, I sense that there has uh, been a significant damage to the psyche, and that uh, is, 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 is a quest- I suppose anybody's guess as to how they recover. That said, Jeff, thank you so- so much for your insights and opinions and uh, go and enjoy what uh, we hope to be an exciting fourth and final test starting at the Wanderers tomorrow.
0: SAFM Sports Rap.
1: SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader, let's talk athletics now. Well, over 25,000 athletes (laughs) to descend upon Cape Town this uh, Easter weekend. Of course, it's the Old Neutral Two Oceans Marathon 2018, the 49th edition. Can you believe it? Of the the, the the race that is dubbed the world's most beautiful marathon, but there is uh, there were there are a couple of people who of course get annoyed about that. They say it's an ultra marathon, should never be called a marathon. That's it. Getting slightly off topic, but uh, we've got a man on the line, athletics correspondent Manfred Sideley, who's going to be watching every minute of the event. Manfred, thanks for joining us. Good evening.
3: Good evening, Duane. And yes, it is correct. It is an ultra marathon. Get <laughs> that correctly right there and then. The marathon is forty-two point one nine five kilometers. I know I'm being pedantic, but yeah.
1: Yep, Yeah. Um, don't worry, we fall in the same camp on this uh, on this thing. If it's 56 kilometers, it's an marathon. That's it. Correct. Some people feel that we're uh, going beyond fastidious uh, when it comes to pointing things like that out. That said, uh, on the point of uh, some people pointing things out, I mean, there have been some people that have suggested holding the, the Old Mutual Two Oceans Marathon at this time when it's so dry in Cape Town is irresponsible. But organizers are saying there's going to be sort of negligible impact on the water consumption in particular. Can you sort of outline the ECHO plans?
3: Yeah, absolutely. That's, it's quite ironic. Because I literally just spoke to one of the organisers about that a couple of minutes ago, and it's, it's quite intriguing what they've gone and done. So, no municipal water will be used at all um, from a drought point of view, um, which means they've made other provisions, provisions which I'll outline quickly. But they've also turned around and made it a a a litter-free zone. You'll actually get fined if you litter, um, and 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 runners will get disqualified. So. They've taken it to, to another level and I think it's it's way overdue. It's been high time and obviously I mean if you have run this race and you see the aftermath of a race with the uh, plastic sachets lying everywhere, it just really, really looks ugly. And it's not just that the, the the uh two oceans marathon. It's anyway, it's comrades, it's it's the Soweto marathon. It doesn't matter where you go. The litter does become a problem and, and runners need to start taking responsibility. So um the, the, the two oceans marathon has obviously taken a massive, uh, uh a big step forward and that, A, you'll be disqualified if you litter. Uhm, inadvertent litter is one thing, it's, it's where you actually have your, and it's no longer water sachets, it'll be, uh, the, 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 sort of the paper cups that, uh, that, that the, uh, Coca-Cola distilleries, uh, uh, distributors supply. It'll be that, that's where you'll get your water in. Um, which obviously is what easy to clean up. But there are bins along the way. You throw them into the bins. And, and if you miss the bin, that's, that's fine. I mean, that happens. That's why you want people to clean up. But if you, on purpose, just ignore it and throw your cup away, you will get disqualified. So very stringent measures taken on that. With regards to the water, all the water supplied is, is actually being supplied by the spring coming out of Newlands. Um, they have, for those people who are running with, <coughs> excuse me, with camelbacks, they've got uh, refillable stations along the way. And um, water points are every it works out on average every three kilometers, which is exactly what it's you know uh, uh, what it should be. And IWF prescribes five Ks for a marathon, so you are within uh, within the parameters. And no showers on the finish line, for example. So so yes, they've taken huge measures and huge steps to make sure that it's a very eco-friendly race. Okay, and.
1: yeah. yeah, Manfred, time's running out, unfortunately. We've got about a minute, 45 seconds to get through this. And I want to talk about a, cu- a couple of the contenders, though. I mean, very thorough. Needed, but uh, but a couple of the contenders. Men's and women's races. Highlights a couple of the names that we should look out for.
0: Sure.
3: The women's race is just so deep. Sharnae Basman, obviously, one of them. Uh, last year's runner-up, Janet Chalinor. Where people are talking about how great shape she is in. Uh, Alexandra Morozova, the, the, the winner of the Comrades Marathon. There was big question marks whether she'd be legal to run because she's Russian. She has a clearance letter from the IAA. She has to be one we look out for. Lindsay Scher from the, the USA, as is Renee Metavir, also from the USA. Very, very strong contenders. 232 and 227, my and and Um And one that I really, really am interested in, the woman's side, is, is Gadda Stane, who has just been phenomenal in her training. Um, and a lot of people are tipping her uh, to finish on the podium, if not potentially even the win. So... In, in 20 years of covering the race, I've never, ever seen a deep field like this in both the men's and the women's race. and The women's race in particular is very, very intriguing. The men's is almost a repeat of what happened at the Comrades Marathon last year. You've got gift here back there. You've got David Kotele there, a former winner. Mike Fukarani is also a former winner. Probably called Kumano is in there. Uh, bon Wusan the, the winner of Comrades last year. And uh, Modibo Mamabolo, otherwise known as Lutik Mamabolo, also in there. So it's almost a repeat of the Comrades. and that, that's going to be riveting. To both races, it's going to be very difficult to put your head on the block and say who's
2: going
1: to win. Uh, well, after 20 years of covering this, though, uh, you'll have a pretty good idea come race day, because I know you like to look at the athletes as well ahead of their start. But, uh, Manfred, unfortunately, time against us. But thanks so much for clarifying as well the echo impact of the uh, the race. And indeed, enjoy Saturday's action.
3: Will do. Thanks, Zayn.
1: That's SFM Sports Rap. That's Catching up, uh, from, uh, Cape Town. That's it. That's all we got time for tonight. Uh, we, uh, encourage you to get in touch with us. SFM Radio, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, stick around after the, uh, news. I'm going to be up with the talk shop. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, well, I suppose it's time for us to say goodbye. I'm out of here. I'm off to the Commonwealth Games. I will see you in a few weeks' time. I'll chat to you in a few weeks' time. From the team tonight, though, uh, producer, Lujolom Khalipi, sound engineer, is under me do interlock have a lovely evening it uh, yeah cheers at 7 o'clock